in an empty room of a fraternity house early on the morning of September 6, 2004, Samantha Spady, a 19-year-old Colorado State University student, died of alcohol poisoning. After the tragedy, the fraternity was forced to dissolve and Timberline Church refurbished the property, operating it as student housing. Now, the place where Samantha died has become a safe haven for people seeking to maintain an alcohol and drug-free life. I didn't want to be homeless anymore, didn't want to be in jail anymore, didn't want to be in institutions. And I got an opportunity to come here and I took it. I'm glad I did. I just had lost everything and now that I'm here and I have so many opportunities in front of me, it, it's a miracle. There's people from so many different walks and we all accept each other and we're all in the same place. It's really easy to, uh, you know, live in a stress-free environment. And being in a stress-free environment takes away any need or desire to go drink, at least it does for me. It's really been the start of just being able to contribute something, um, being able to go back to school, get a job. I've regained so many things since beginning sobriety. I have regained my self-esteem, my parents' trust, their pride, their faith. I'm Raj and I'm nine months sober. I'm Leon and I've been sober for 62 days. I'm John and I'm two months sober. Woohoo! I'm Camille and I'm 42 days sober. I'm Denny and I'm proud of my mom for coming to the Heart Center. What do you think of that? Isn't that exciting? I just think, thank you, Lord. Powerful. Really fun. It is so great today just to take a few moments and give you an update of kind of what's happening at the lighthouse. It was five years ago today that Samantha died. We just noticed that on the, on the video. And um, after that happened, Timberline Church leased that building over there off of Shields by CSU. And we've had students living in that building. It's been a wonderful journey. Well, about, I don't know, nine months ago or so, maybe even more now, God started to do some things in our hearts and some changes have come to the ministry there. And We have today Virgil and Carol Holland who are really the forefront leaders of why this change is happening. And thanks so much, you guys, for listening to God. Kind of tell us the story a little bit about how all this happened. Five years ago, <clears throat> we were on vacation to beautiful Fort Collins. We live in Lake Havasu City. We did. And we were visiting my brother Dave, and he said there's a house for sale seven houses away. Why don't we go look at it? We went and looked at it, made an offer. Before we got to Havasu, we had, they had accepted our offer. Now we had a house, and we had to figure out how to get here. So it took us about four years to really get here with both feet. You know how that is? And uh, we had a vision and a, a real call in our life. In fact, uh, I don't know how God speaks to you, but I was actually playing pool in my basement on my pool table. And I was hitting the eight ball in, I remember, and, and God said, you're supposed to be in Fort Collins. Call your wife and get her back here. And she was down in, in Lake Havasu. We were actually thinking about doing this in Lake Havasu. And she came back, and we are so thankful that... We met everybody here at Timberline about a year ago. We started coming to church here, fell in love with it. And then we wanted to, to meet Derry. And people were 
you know, in times such as this, are you really sure you want to do something like you're talking about? And I said, well, I have a secret weapon. I have a God who speaks. And I have my wife. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> this is an amazing story. In October of last year, I was working here in Fort Collins with the homeless people um, and the homeless population. I saw a tremendous need for people coming from detox and recovery. Uh, they would have nowhere to go. And went to a conference, and I, I met up with a gentleman who said, I have a faith-based grant, uh, both federal and state, and $14 million. Do you think you can do something with it? <laughs> uh, like, okay. And so we went to the community and said, what do you think about a transitional living place for people who are needing some additional help? They said, great, great idea. So we started looking for a building. Uh, in December, we had made an appointment to meet with Pastor Derry, who I had never met before. And we waited through Christmas, and finally in January, the end of January, we met with him, and we said, told him our story, and we said, what do you think? He said, I think I have a building. And we just said, okay, and he said, let's go. And he jumped in the car right that moment, and we drove over to the lighthouse, and he said, here it is. And I said, don't kid me, Pastor Derry. And he said, no, no, this is for real. Present it to the ministry team, and, and let's see what happens. So we waited another month. And he called me at 8.30 at night, the end of February, and said, 100% unanimous decision. You guys have the building. So we did the work, and we worked really, really hard, and our students are here today. Yeah, let's um, have them stand, because I'm so proud of these, these guys and gals. And just, yeah. Very cool. And then August 1st, we moved into the building. Uh, we actually had a life home in our own personal home. We had nine people in our home for a month prior to that. Then we Our own personal home. Then we moved people into the center, and August 6th, we had to build a bed day where the whole community came in and built 50 beds from scratch to help our people on, in recovery. Um, it's just an amazing story, and, and we're so blessed that Timberline put all the work and energy into it and that God has a plan for its future. So... Thank you. You know, one of the things that we know we need, and we're going to ask you to do, is they're at table eight out in the mall, and all those tables are significant and important. But if you are gifted as a mentor or a worker, I mean, you guys are doing some creative things. Tell them a little bit about opportunities to volunteer. Well, we have a life skill program. We're not just about housing. We're about life skills. We're about educational coaching, nutrition. We believe that it's a whole person approach. You can't just look at one section and think that that's going to fix someone. So, the greenhouse. The greenhouses. We're putting up 60-foot greenhouses in our backyard so we can grow our own food and, and let the students learn what it's like to have growth in life. And, um, so, and we're doing also money management, financial management. We need people who have special talents that want to bring in activities. We actually get paid to take our kids scuba diving. Yeah, so any, if you're certified, we need you to teach. Uh, and, and it is, it's a wonderful thing. It's one of the few grants that allows a faith-based organization. So I want us to pray for you guys. We're so proud of you and thankful for you. And this is a partnership we have with them. And, and we're very excited that it's in our community. So get the word out, pass it around. Uh, tonight, this afternoon, we have an open house at 2 o'clock yep. uh, from 2 to 4. If you'd like to come by, we have a band. You can see the facility. Um, food. And food, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Lord, thank you so much for Virgil and Carolyn. 
their lives, their willingness, their sacrifice, the sacrifices they have made personally, and the vision you've put in their heart. God, thank you that we can team with them to actually make a huge difference in northern Colorado. So we look forward to seeing what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say thanks one more time to the Hollands. Bless you guys. That's exciting. Wow. It is so wonderful how God just intervenes and He has a plan that sometimes we don't always know. Aren't you glad for that? So it really has made a difference. And so keep that in your prayers and sign up and help and keep your ears open to help others get there. Well, I'm really, I, I've had a blast this weekend. It's a tough message I'm bringing to you, but it's, because uh, it's kind of sad. But it's also the beginning of kind of three weeks where I want to journey with you. Have you had a good summer? It's not over yet. How many of you know that? So get out there and enjoy Labor Day. How many of you are off tomorrow and you normally would be working? Good. I hope you can enjoy that. Um, I was at a, at a meeting where Dr. George Wood, who is a wonderful leader, great communicator, he's actually preached in this pulpit before uh, a couple years ago, but he did a sermon on a young lady by the name of Leah. And I've known Leah, Rachel and Leah, the story of Jacob and Rachel and how Leah was involved for years, Sunday school days. But there's so much in the story. He had about 45 or 50 minutes to speak it. And because we do 20 to 25 minute speaking blocks, I said, I'm going to turn this into a three week series. So I'm kind of taking some of his stuff and some of my own. And over the next three weeks, I want to do a short series that I have called Leaving a Legacy. If you turn your bulletin over the back page, You can follow along. But I want to challenge you with something as we jump into this. How do you leave a legacy in your life? Do you have a life that will live beyond your life? Who are you investing in? What are you doing now that will have dividends when you're not around anymore? What is the encouragement? What are the components? How do you leave a legacy? Is it accidental? Or is it intentional? I'm not just talking about money here. You can leave money for other people. That's not a legacy. I'm talking about investing something that lives beyond you and even your abilities. Sometimes life is hard. We're in a tough time right now for many of you economically. and We're hearing about it on the news. And some people think we're coming out of it. And others think it's another few years. Who knows? I just know this. If you live long enough, you're going to go through a tough time. How many of you found that out? How many of you can look back over your life and say, you know what, I know what it's like to face some hardships. I remember a season in my life when da-da-da-da-da. And you have a story about some hard thing or some moment with the family or some issue with your health. And maybe you've worked through it now. Maybe you're in the middle of it now. I don't know. But I know this. I want your life and my life to matter long after I'm dead and gone. And that's what this series is about. It's to try to get us to see beyond today because we are in a culture that basically is teaching us live it up, live for today. That's all that counts. And I personally believe that's a lie. I do want to live fully today. We have a value at Timberline where we talk about being fully present. If you're talking to someone or you're engaging, be fully present. Don't be looking over their shoulder at everybody else. Be fully present. But I know this. Your life needs to live beyond your life. As you make investments in other people, as you invest in your kids and friendships, 
Your life goes on and you have a chance to leave a legacy that will outlive you. That's what Leah did. And Leah didn't even know it. Now, here we go. I've warned you, next week will be happier. But this is a sad story that we have to dive into today. Dick Foth has done a great job the last three weeks keeping us in Genesis back here. And I have loved it. I'm going to go back to Genesis 29. So open your Bibles there. And if you're taking notes in your bulletin, write this down. Point number one, I've called this message Being Leah. What is it like to be Leah? Number one, being Leah means growing up in a Rachel world. Being Leah means growing up in a Rachel world. Rachel was her younger sister. Younger sister, In Genesis chapter 29... Starting to read at verse 16, follow along. Now Laban had two daughters. That was the dad, obviously. The older daughter was named Leah. The younger was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. There's an interesting Hebrew word there that means she had some kind of an eye issue. Um, But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Here you go. How many of you see we're already headed for trouble? Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So look at this verse. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Everybody go, oh, the music kicks in. I worked seven years, but it just seems like moments because I'm in love with Rachel. and I'm about to throw up reading this. What a beautiful love story, honestly, if you just take it for what it is. What a powerful thing. Jacob loves Rachel, and Rachel loves Jacob. He worked seven years. It just seems like a few days. It's a perfect story of sacrifice and commitment. Unless you're Leah. Then it's not so good. Oh, well, can't she be happy for Rachel? Of course she can. She has been her whole life. Because Rachel leads the way in everything. I mean, really think about this, you guys. This is a challenge because the Bible actually tells us that Rachel had a great body and was gorgeous. And the Bible actually tells us that Leah wasn't and didn't. That's the Bible. Is that sad to you? I feel sorry for Leah. I do. I just, I'm sensitive anyway. And when I see an underdog and I see something that is challenging and I see someone who, who's, it's just beyond their control. She grows up with her perfect sister who is beautiful. Um, her sister finds a guy like Jacob who's willing to work for her and love her and care for her and do whatever it takes. And she's just left there alone. What a challenge this is. The feeling from scripture is that Leah had no one who would really love her. As a matter of fact, Leah's name in Hebrew means weary or tired. One translation actually can be translated cow. That's a fact. 
or wild cow. Rachel's name, however, and in this culture, this is a very big compliment because they raised sheep and that was the, the money world. She was named you or female sheep. That's perfect. This is like a comparison of Leah being a cow and Rachel being this perfect, beautiful sheep. The idea is that Leah is homely. She's not attractive. And Rachel is the beautiful one. It's a sad story. But don't worry. It gets worse. (laughs) Before we move on to that worse part, I have a couple questions I want you to think about. Do you ever go through times when you feel like you're Leah in a Rachel world? Doesn't this sound like a reality show? It's an awkward thing, isn't it? When you have some physical attribute or maybe it's a disease or maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's financial. When someone else gets the job, you really can do better. Someone else has the perfect body. Someone else gets the person or a person like the person you wish you could have and and you get them. Someone else gets them. It's never you. They make the money. They drive the nice car. They they have the nice family. Everything is perfect. They have good health. And it's just, it's so perfect and so easy for the Rachel people in life. But what if you're Leah? I just want to say to some of you in this room today, if you feel like you're Leah, Maybe it's just a little spot in your life. Just a little moment. God sees that today. And God knows where you are. And He understands the issues that you face. It is painful to be Leah in a Rachel world. It is hard. It is mean. It is wearing on your spirit. And I believe all of us know that feeling. I had a gentleman who walked up to me after the last service and he said, My wife's name is Rachel. I've been in the Rachel world for 61 years. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry. Number two in your outline. Being Leah means facing serious rejection. Being Leah means facing... You know, not just the small stuff, but when I say serious rejection, you're going to see in a moment as we read it what it is. I mean, all of us know what it's like not to get picked on the basketball team or the football team or gym class lineup or you don't get the grade or someone else gets the promotion or whatever. We all we all have a little bit of rejection in our life. It's part of living. It's part of growing up. But this is serious stuff. Verse 21. Finally, the time came for Jacob to marry Rachel. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. And obviously he's excited. Now give me my wife so I can marry her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood, prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid, which we'll talk about next week. But when Jacob, this says it all, when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob? Raged at Laban. I've worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Now, you see, we might think, well, how didn't he know? But you have to go to the culture and the custom. A bride would be heavily veiled. You would not see her during the ceremony. They did not have lights or flashlights or the technology we have. They go into a tent. It's dark. They make love. They wake up, and it says it all. 
It was Leah. Now, I want you to just imagine in this mind. He jumps out of the tent. He bolts out. Leah senses his anger. She's still there, stuck in this tent. I wonder if she could hear the discussion. I don't know this, but I, I'm trying to just feel what Leah could have felt during some of these moments when Jacob is ranting and raging, just mad at Laban for what he did. And by the way, that Laban, that guy, I'm hunting him down in heaven. We're going to have a talk. What was it like? What was it like for Leah to possibly hear him saying, I wanted Rachel. You know, Leah here now is in her tent. She's given her virginity and her life to him. And, and her husband is saying, why have you tricked me? This is not who I wanted. Ladies, how would it feel to have a wedding night making love to your husband when he thinks you're someone else? This is painful. This is rejection. Leah had been forced through custom to obey her father. It's hard for us to understand customs like this and seasons like this, but still in many places of the world, there are things way beyond what our little mindsets can understand. This was not Jacob's fault. I don't fault him. This was not Leah's fault. I blame Laban, if anybody. I feel sorry for Rachel. I feel sorry for Jacob. And I feel sorry for Leah. This is serious rejection. How could she do it? And I've been thinking a lot about this. How does rejection affect us? How do you handle when the situations in life, when, when you're pushed away? Your presence is not desired. No one wants you there. Many of you have gone through some really painful times and it's impacted you. God is the healer of the pain from rejection. Please hear this, because you're going to see it in these next few weeks, how God managed to find a way where there was no way. It looks awful right now, but God was taking note of where Leah was and what she was facing. But many of you today, confidence issues are huge in your life because of rejection. Your self-image, the insecurity issues... The trust issues in your life. And I believe you need to open up to let the Holy Spirit give you a word today that says, I am a God who can help you through those hard times, even though you face and have faced serious rejection in your life. Thirdly, in your outline, if you're taking notes, write this down. What does it mean to be Leah? Being Leah, thirdly, means dealing with horrific injustice. Huge injustice, not only rejection, and I know that rejection and injustice can be related, but let's continue the story and let's look at what happens with this injustice that takes place in Leah's life. Verse 26, Laban's trying to explain to Jacob what's happening. He says, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, which was Leah, Laban replies. So. But wait until the bridal week is over, which will be seven days. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Jerk. But it'll just be like a few days for Jacob. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah. Laban gave him Rachel too. 
Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid, which, again, we'll talk about later. So Jacob slept with Rachel, too, and look at this line. He loved her much more than Leah. The Hebrew actually there has the idea that he did not love Leah, but he fully loved Rachel. He then stayed and worked for Laban an additional seven years. Do you see the picture here? Jacob works seven years, thinks he's working for Rachel, he gets Leah. Seven days goes by, they have another wedding. He's married to Rachel. Then he works another seven years to pay that off. This is a long venture for Jacob. Jacob does all of this because he loves Rachel, not Leah. Sad. The first injustice in your outline. Just I'm going to hit these real quick. But the first injustice is that her husband, Jacob, did not really want her or love her. That's clear in Scripture, at least at this point in time. There's some good news later on that I'll share with you toward the end of her life. But I want you to just see that at this point, he did not want to marry her and he did not love her. And I said it early, it wasn't really his fault. He did not ask Laban for Leah. Jacob is not the jerk in the story. I feel for him. It's just sad to me that Leah is in a position so far beyond her control because of custom and culture and issues and her life. Deep rejection every day. She knows her husband has no interest in her. He has no interest in trying to know her or love her. He loves Rachel. The second injustice is that her father Laban did not want her either and gave her away through deception. How's, what does that do to your self-image? Oh, honey, you don't understand that we have no other hope to get rid of you or to get you a husband. So... We're going to veil you up and uh, there's no way anyone would ever want you. We don't really want you either, so get ready. I don't know. I, I don't get it. Breaks my heart. I feel so sorry for her. That's going to ruin your self-image. I can imagine Leah just alone in her tent, crying, feeling ashamed, alone, completely unwanted, traded like a commodity by her father, really, rejected by the man that she had willed to love her husband Jacob. This would be her life now. No or little outward beauty, a sister who was more captivating and perfect, a father who had traded her, a husband who had sex with her but did not love her. What kind of a life is this? But that's not the end. I'm so glad that's not the end. God took note of her pain. God saw her heart. God saw what no one else seemed to care about in this story. God saw her brokenness. And God saw her tears. And God saw and felt her rejection. Just like God sees you today. Just like God understands where you're at today. Just like God who can somehow see stuff in you that you can't even explain yourself. Hear this today. No one in this room may fully know or understand your pain right now in your life. No one may care at the level that you say, I need them to care. But you have a God who knows you. You have a God who cares for you at a level that you do not understand. And you never will. Why? Because He is God. And He sees everything that you face in this day. And you can put your hope in that. 
Even when you don't see it change, Leah lived most of her life never seeing what we're going to see in the next few weeks. But she was faithful, she was flexible, and she trusted God. Look at the fourth point. Being Leah. Being Leah means that God sees you. God sees you. One of my favorite verses in this story. It's a phrase, I want you to just soak it in and put your name there if you need to. Verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. When I read that, I just stopped. It's like, shut my Bible. I just need to soak that in. It told me two things instantly. It was the fact that Leah was unloved. It makes me sick inside. But God saw her. She was unloved, but God saw her. The next line. He enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now this is still kind of sad, but it's part of the story. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery. The Lord has noticed my misery. And now my husband will love me. She's basically saying, because I have born a son. That was the huge thing. Lineage, genealogy, having that boy uh, firstborn. I mean, it's huge. So, so she's saying, Reuben actually means, behold a son. So she has this baby and she presents Reuben. Jacob, Reuben, behold a son. Now will you love me? Now will you know that it's out of my womb and not Rachel's? Is there one thing I can do that Rachel can't do? Is there any hope here? Behold a son. She's hoping to be loved by her husband, but not yet. That would not yet happen. But God saw her. And the point I want to make now is that sometimes when other people don't see you and they don't understand, and you want to get their attention... It's still God who sees you. And He's more important than anyone else on this earth. Oh, and by the way, just before we wrap all this up, I need to tell you something. Leah's going to have 12 kids. Her genealogy changed the world. She didn't know it. Not at this time. She's in her pain. She's crying out to God. But God had a plan that Leah's legacy would live way beyond her. She just needed to remain faithful to God. Because God can see beyond your lifetime. Do you know that it's out of Leah's lineage that we have Jesus? Now, if that doesn't put hope in your heart, nothing will. Leah didn't know it. I hope today in heaven she knows it. But there's a whole lot of things. Next week, I'm gonna, I've titled the message, Because of Leah, we can do this. We have this. We have books in the Bible. We have New Testament. We have people. We have issues. We have kings. We have so many things. Because of Leah. But not today. Today, Leah is alone. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard. I wish every story could end beautifully. Beautifully. 
And maybe in a 6,000 year span it does. But I'm aware that there are people in this room that feel like Leah in a Rachel world. And I'm asking you to touch the core of their heart today. When it's never enough, and they just can't meet the need, they just can't do it, they just don't have the ability, they can't impress someone else, I just ask you for rest. Rest over these wonderful people. Peace in their hearts, oh God. For those of you that have faced rejection, could be a mom, a dad, parents, siblings, grandparents, work, I don't know. Rejection's tough on people. But I want to say to you, and I want you to hear this, if you know you're facing that, you have a future. And don't you let that moment of rejection take your confidence out of you because you have a God who sees beyond today. And you've got to believe that. And you've got to trust that. And you've got to make a commitment that today you're going to rise up out of this chair and you're going to trust that God's doing something with your life bigger than what the world is doing with your life. Because God is bigger. And don't you buy the lies. You invest in the future because you have one. If you have faced an injustice and it's not fair, guess what? Life isn't fair. But God is God sees you. Rest in that. Embrace Him in that. And let Him open up, if I can say it, for men and women, your womb, your heart. Let Him open up your mind. Let Him open you up. And may something be birthed in you that's new and alive and fresh on this day. Lord, I thank You for my brothers and sisters, for the joy to serve them and with them. Teach us and change us now. And if there's one in this room that doesn't know you personally, I just ask right now, they would simply in faith say, I trust you. I accept you into my life by faith. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of that sin. I choose to walk with you in your name. And everyone said, Amen. You guys, these next three weeks are about if your faith is down here and your issues are up here, it's about doing this. It's about God showing you that all the issues in your life need to go down here. And your faith in Him to see beyond today needs to rise. All of you guys from the Heart Center, they're back at the table now. How many of you know they have a future? See, you have a future because God has given us a future. Amen. Stand with me if you would, please. I want our prayer teams in both auditoriums to come at this time and, and just be available to pray with folks. If you want to just connect with someone and, and maybe you have a story you need someone to hear, maybe you just want to be prayed for, related or unrelated to this message, we want to do that for you today before you go. Go by the tables. And I want us to have a closing prayer that says this. Lord, after You've healed us and touched us in here, send us out of this building and out of this place into a world where we can find some Leahs in a Rachel world. Is that fair? Lord, we need You to help us to find the Leahs in a Rachel world out there beyond this safe place. God, show us those co-workers, those family members. Show us how we can be Your touch, Your voice, Your healing power to sustain and encourage.
in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Man, I love you guys. It is great to see you this weekend. Have a great day tomorrow and a great night tonight. Thanks for coming to Timberline. God bless.